What if you really can have it all? No, really. What if everything you think you desire is only a starting point for the life you're truly capable of creating? On Love, Life, and All Things Weird, we playfully explore topics from money to magic, healing to wholeness, creation, relationship, business, and more. There's no place we won't go. Nothing too wacky or weird in the quest to live as grand a life as possible. Hosts Megan Silito and Suzanne Stauffer are the embodiment of opposites attract. And the result is true synergistic power. Partnered in love and in business, they're taking co-creation to a whole new level. Join Megan and Suzanne for Love, Life, and All Things Weird, where we will talk about living a life that's inspired, overflowing, and completely awesome. Welcome, welcome to Love, Life, and All Things Weird with your loving and weird uh, host, Megan and Suzanne. How is everyone today? <laughs> We're back. We're back on the radio together. <laughs> yeah, we are. You never know yeah. what's going to happen with us. <laughs> it changes every second. Here we are. It changes every mm-hmm. day. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, welcome everybody. So um, today, you know, this is probably one of my most common things that I coach around is healing your mommy and daddy issues because frankly, when it comes to life, you know, that first five years is like the imprint uh, and it it wreaks havoc. (laughs) It can wreak havoc on the rest of your life. So, um, so I, I, I wrote the, I wrote this show. And so I want to kind of set it up a little bit. And I think Megan um, last night, she was like, so I think I want to come on the show, but only part, only part way. Like I want to leave in the middle of it. Is that okay? So, so um, you're going to hear from Megan for yet to be a determined amount of time. Yeah. And then suddenly she's going to be gone. Exactly. And then we'll all miss her. We'll all miss her until next Wednesday. So, um, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, so heal your mommy and daddy issues. You know, like what what the truth is, is that we grow up when we grow up. Um, we aren't loved in the way that we need to be loved. It's really a very interesting thing because, you know, Megan's wounding around her childhood is because she was, um, you know, quote, stuck on a farm with parents that were really um, controlling in a way, right? And didn't allow her to be free, which is one of her primary um, primary values in life is freedom. And what's so interesting about my childhood is that I had complete freedom. My parents didn't even know I existed. I was wandering around the neighborhood at four, four years old. And so my wounding from child is because I didn't have a strong container. Um, and I didn't have, um, supervision and I, and I felt really, uh, alone and invisible. So it's really interesting because I think Megan would have thrived much more in some ways in in my household than and I would have thrived more in hers and that is the interesting thing about growing up is that you know none of us really are loved perfectly and it's almost like we chose that before this existence in order to learn 
and grow and experience things that were going to test us, that were going to bring out the essence of us and that were going to set us up for, you know, the future, um, the future life that we, that we, um, potentially could live. And so they call that in, uh, in the, I'm not sure, the psychology world, they call it a core fracture, which is basically um, like that thing that happened that, um, you know, you were like, whoa, I, uh, this isn't okay. And then what happens with the core fracture is then it's repeated over and over and over um, throughout your childhood and, and then into your adolescence and adulthood. And so, um, you can look to your current relationships and especially your romantic relationships and see, uh, if you are self-aware, you can start to look at the patterns that came from childhood. And that, you know, I think it's interesting because I didn't realize this. I didn't realize this whole idea until I had been divorced twice because the first time was, <laughs> you know, after I got divorced the first time, it was like, oh, we're just not compatible. And he's just, you know, emotionally neglectful. And, you know, all this stuff, right, that I was like, oh, well, we're just not a good match. But then, you know, when I ended up marrying my second husband, and the same narrative was going on as far as like, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't spend time with me. Um, you know, he's emotionally unavailable. Um, like all this stuff that was a, a similar theme in my second marriage. Um, and then I was like, huh, you know, the common denominator is me. So maybe it's time to stop pointing the finger outside of myself and look inwards, you know. So today we're going to um, really dive into this topic and help you to start identifying these, your own um your own core fractures and how those are playing out in relationship. And the reason why this um, show came up for me is because um, this last weekend I had uh, the most profound and healing conversation with my mom that I've ever had in my life. Um, as most of you regular listeners know, I had a really intense emotionally, physically, uh, all kinds of abuse um, childhood and so I've really been estranged from my mom for years and um, you know in the in the separation and breakup of Megan and I have really taken a look at my own patterns in a way you know and all the patterns that I was playing out with Megan and um, and that how those really um, could be traced back to my experiences with my mom and, you know, how difficult it was for, uh, for Megan in our relationship to, um, to, to deal with those patterns in me, right? Um, because in some way she was trying to heal those for me because I couldn't heal them myself and yet that doesn't work at all. And so, um, it, it, this whole thing brought a, about a conversation that I had um, with my mom this weekend that was really life-changing and I um, had a huge awareness that I feel like is going to literally change my whole trajectory of my life. So um, so I'm definitely going to be getting into that experience as well. Um, but what do you have to say about all of this, Megan? 
<laughs> oh, I got nothing to say. Um, <laughs> actually, what I how I see it is that because like when I went through rapid eye training, right? We were taught that literally like fifty to seventy five percent of our life patterns are actually um, solidified through through the birth process. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like we, you know, so many people do like the inner child work and let's go back and let's talk about mommy and daddy and that's all there. Right. But I thought it's really interesting that a couple of things, one is like, and, and when I was doing rapid eye and I was doing rebirthing sessions on people, like, you know, when you go back and you like unwind the birth process, like I'm talking everything from conception, gestation, um, the birth and the bonding experience, like so many things in our lives can go back to sort of interruptions or trauma or things that were playing out in, in our parents' home while they were pregnant, while mom was pregnant with us. Um, and, you know, and then if you go like, okay, 90% of our way we think about ourselves is formed by the time we're five or six. This means that almost all of our programming occurs before we have any memory or any say about what, you know, what kind of things we might be taking on. Because up until five or six, one of the reasons we don't have memory of childhood is because we're mostly not in conscious mind yet. We're mostly operating from what would be considered the unconscious. And why is that? It's so that we don't filter it. That's how we learn could learn two languages by the time we're three, right? Is because mm-hmm. there's no filtration system. Well, that's the good news for like rapid learning, but it's not so good for patterns. It's everything that happens, everything that occurs, there's no filtration system. So it kind of goes into our brain like this is the way life is. This is the way life is. And I thought that was kind of a cruel joke, right? It's like, well, wait a minute. Like if all this crap crappy things I think about myself occur before I'm even freaking born (laughs) or by the time I'm two or whatever. It's like, how are we ever going to see what the hell we need to see to be able to like undo these patterns in life? You know, I just thought it was so cruel for the longest time. And then it's kind of like what you said, like if we were switched, we probably would have thrived a little bit more, but no, 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 no. We chose these. <laughs> we chose the path mm-hmm. we did because we came here to learn and to, cat- to catapult ourselves through these, I would say, grifts, these refining fires, these things that would pull our slingshot back just enough to catapult us into, uh, into our power and potency, right? And mm-hmm. so it's, there's, to me, there's sort of a divine, uh, thing that in all of this, it's like, yeah, it's like so many of our patterns were formed in the womb. Like it's so crazy, like in doing rebirth, like to see things in 40 and 50 year olds that they've been doing their whole life. They didn't know why. And it's something that happened in the birth that they just been repeating, you know, for 30, 40, 50 years. And it's like, huh. And, and what that does is it sets up our way of seeing the world in a particular way that allows us to have particular experiences that actually tap and trigger our potencies. And so when it's time for that pattern to change, it's time for that us to evolve past it. 
we will we will create an experience where those things are surfaced so big that we can't ignore it, that we have to move through it, that we have to claim the power on the other side of that. So for instance, like one of my big patterns from birth and beyond is abandonment. And I got given up for adoption. And then I came into a family of 14. There wasn't a lot of, of like, and there was so much abuse and chaos going on there that there wasn't a lot of bandwidth for me. Like I had an experience and you were with me in that experience where I, I, I realized that I learned to walk by myself, but nobody was there. You know, it's kind of weird, like family of 14, nobody's there. Hello. You know, and so here I am, separation, 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 all alone on the farm, control, control, control. My number one thing is freedom. My, I would say a really big reason I'm here is oneness, that there is no separation. There's no such thing as abandonment, right? So, and it's like that abandonment that abandonment trigger is going to get triggered and triggered and triggered and triggered until I'm ready to be the oneness I seem to be. Mm-hmm. And so I see it all as a gift. I see it all as kind of this crazy thing. It's like, okay, what? we're looking down at what kind of family systems, right? It's like, oh, that one's going to trigger it up real good. Like, I, <laughs> like sign me up for that family, <laughs> you know? And so I kind of see it. That's currently my worldview of that. Right. Like, I'm not saying it's right, but I just, you know, and working with literally thousands of people. Right. And and, you know, even in this imprinting for riches group that um, we just got done with the 22 day immersion. Right. Like seeing the patterns that they have been playing out with money coming from these childhood experiences with their mommy and daddy. Right. It's like it's everywhere. Like it's like it's not just we play about relationships. We play out with money, we played out with business, we played out with success, we played out with our value, we played out with everything. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that was what was so Ooh. fascinating about listening to a lot of the people, like in your 22-day um, program, you had everybody write a breakup letter with money, um, which was basically like, you know, out with the old and in with the new. And I thought it was so fascinating reading these letters because it literally felt like they were breaking up with the lover, you know, or breaking that it was like a romantic relationship gone wrong, you know. And um, and so it really is interesting how our core patterns play out because like you could look at your relationship with money and then look at your relationship generally with the person or people and then probably see a lot of similarities. You know, I think it's really um, a fascinating concept. So regardless, and I think that was what was so brilliant about your 22 day program is that the, the, you know, in was about money, but most people like transformed themselves. Like they, they learned to see themselves. And so it was so much more than money, you know, and money is just a, it's just a end result of, you know, whether we're being our essence or not, you know, and so I thought that was such a fascinating thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm super excited that you are continuing on with the program because you have, it's called the big adventure. So maybe you can talk to people about that for a minute because it's like starting the six month or is it six months? Or how long is it? Till the end of the year, right? And it's starting like next week or something? Yes, it is starting on the 23rd and it's running through the end of the year. And 
if you sign up, um, I believe like in the next week, because it doesn't come next Friday, if you sign up in the next week, um, your what when you sign up, you get the first 22 days. And I have to tell you, like, um, it's probably the most phenomenal dynamic program I've created so far. Like mm. people, like, you know, people are calling it a movement because it's like, it's time for the spiritual healers, et cetera, et cetera, to change that relationship because it's not really about money. It's really about, are we willing to be our full potency and presence here on the planet? And that's mm-hmm. really the whole thing with the mommy and daddy issues too, right? And so it takes time. Like people want to do this kind of quick fix thing with money. You know, it's kind of the lottery syndrome. Like, oh yeah, They're like, yeah, I'm going to get a windfall and then it'll all be okay. You know, it's like, it's like that, you know, oh, daddy's going to come back. And our family's going to be great, you know, like <laughs> we're playing out all this stuff with it, right? And so the day-to-day immersion was to give people really a full-on experience of what it might be like to begin to transform their relationships, not just to money, but to living that that um, rich life, embodying a rich life, because that's what's required to be fully present and give our gifts on the planet. And that takes some time. And so the 22 days was to give people an experience and then they had a chance to upgrade to the big adventure. And now I'm, it's funny because I was only going to market it inside the group because we had a, we've got 80 some people in the group from all over the world and, and already half of them have up, <laughs> up uh, level to this bigger program. But it's, so funny you know how things happen because I was like yeah I think maybe I want to because it's such a sweet group it's so magic and I was like maybe I don't want to go outside and then on one of my 22 days of lives I did it on my Facebook page on my regular Facebook page and then I was like okay I got the message from the consciousness of my program it's like no I I want to get to as many people as possible I want to be out there I want people to know this creation called imprinting for riches wants it, it does have to be a movement. And so um, if you feel connected to the idea that um, you are truly wealthy, not just in spirit, but in body, and that you want to get to that, then I would highly suggest coming and playing um, in the big adventure. And I'll post the link here in the show notes, as well as on our Facebook page, um, Weird on the Air with Megan and Suzanne. Also, my page, it, it's going to be everywhere. I'm going to be your face with this thing because it's freaking mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> totally, yes. And, um, you know, I, well, what what is the price of it? Can you just, like, give them a little bit more information? Because it starts the 23rd and the price is, yes. is it six? No, the 600 is for the people that did the 22 days. Um, the, the, the price for the public is 888, but you can oh, yeah. do that in three payments. And it's, but that's for like five months, right? And so you can do that in payment and you can pay all up front, uh, for no fee. And, um, uh, also you do, again, if you sign up within the next week, you get the $222 program for free. So it's kind right, of right, like right. 660. Don't tell mm-hmm. them that. I, know. I don't want to be well, I like all these, all these fun numbers. 
You're playing with numbers. Here. I know. <laughs> 22 days, $222, How fun is that? <laughs> cool. All right. Well, um, I would highly, highly recommend it. I've been in the 22-day program, and it's been phenomenal. And so um, check it out, everybody, and message Megan if you're interested in that. We're going to go on break and come back. We're, when we come back, we're going to talk about how do you identify um, those things in your life that are playing out those patterns um, and and what to do about it then. So please come back. You're listening to Love Life and All Things Weird. Are you looking for a place to create, connect, and belong? Where you have massive encouragement to be the weird, live-outside-the-box person you truly are. If you've chosen a different path as a rebel, an innovator, a leader, entrepreneur, and changemaker, you're in the right place. On Love, Life, and All Things Weird, Megan and Suzanne bring you inspiration, awesome tools for transformation, and full permission to be you. Claim your weird and live your most ridiculous life. Be sure to listen every Wednesday at noon, Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. This is Love, Life, and All Things Weird with hosts Megan Silito and Suzanne Stoffer. Are you scratching your head a bit? Let's chat. Call into the program today and let's find some answers. If you're in the U.S., Call 815-880-8255. In Canada, call 613-800-8736. Or Skype us at Inspired Choices Network. You can also ask questions or leave comments in our Facebook group, Weird on the Air with Megan and Suzanne. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking about mommy and daddy issues. And um, when I was talking to Megan before the show, um, I was saying, I was asking her, you know, like, how, how do you identify if this is kind of a relatively new concept or if you if it just feels a little fuzzy, like, hmm, I'm just not quite sure. I mean, I know there's stuff there, but I'm just not quite sure how to identify uh, my mom and mommy and daddy issues. It was like, okay, well, how do you do that? You know, like, what's the first step? Because obviously, awareness is really the first step in changing a pattern. If you're not aware of something, how can you look at it? How can you change it? Um, and so, you know, she had a great idea in to look at your current relationships, like especially your romantic ones, but also your friendships. Like, is there a is there a common story, a common complaint, like a common judgment, a common um, theme that runs through um, that relationship, like where you find yourself in moments of not feeling 
um, connected or feeling like there was an upset or something like that. What is the, what's the story? What is the, um, the theme that runs through? So, um, you know, for, for me, it's an interesting thing, you know, like I talk about, um, you know, that I really don't have a type, you know, like if you look at my relationship history, um, <laughs> then I've been in relationship basically since I was 15. Um, you know, so this is the first time I've really been single in my entire life. And, um, and when you look at all of the people that I've chosen, they're all races, all body types, both men and women. Um, you know, so physically like had did way different jobs. So like from like an outsider's perspective, you wouldn't think that there was any kind of theme to it. But when I really take a look at it, I would say that every single person I've ever chosen to be in romantic relationship with were very emotional people. They were highly sensitive, empathic, emotional people. Um, they were very, they tended to be, they all tend to be very internal in that they, a lot is happening inside of them. And it was always my challenge to kind of pull stuff out of them, right? To have them like communicate with me or talk to me or share with me what's going on. Um, and, you know, they're, they're all what I would call, um, I'm like more of the anxious type. So there's particular, um, I'm not sure what that, maybe you know what that, it's like attachment theory, I think is what it's called. And I'm the anxious um, side of it. And I will choose um, partners that are the avoidant side of it. And so often my storyline in relationship is that, um, that they're, that they work a lot, that they don't spend a lot of time with me, um, like don't get the quality time that I really need, that it's very hard to get them to share or tell me what their internal landscape is. And so often I feel disconnected uh, from them. So that would be my storyline with regards to relationship, you know, that as I look at my entire life, I would say that that was the case in every single one. Um, and so that has so much to do with me. That has so much to do with my own relationship, especially with my dad, right? Um, because that was how he showed up in my life. It's very uh, distant, very internal, very emotional. Um, and so you know, that was the original pattern and that's what I'm playing out in relationship. And so I'm curious, what would you say that, you know, what would, what can you look at your current relationships and look at and see a theme? Would you say that you have um, identified that theme? <laughs> no, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um I have <laughs> I have several themes. Uh what one of the main ones as you said that it was uh my childhood, my parents were extremely, extremely controlling because by the time I came around there'd been some big mess ups <laughs> with the older folk. And so and because they had, had, you know, massive amounts of kids to watch, I came like seven years, I was adopted into the family seven years after their last kid. So I was basically raised in a home of like five kids or six kids, not 14. And by the time that I started to come into like 
um, my adolescence, there was only, I think, maybe two or three brothers around, and they were older, and they were uncontrollable. So all of the attention came to me and controlling me, and I was, like, kind of trapped on this farm, being this sort of social critter that I am. And, like, <laughs> so I socialized with the cows and the cats. <laughs> And the goats. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I this could be why I'm a little bit of a unique personality, I'm guessing. But <laughs> as I'm saying this out loud, but, like, I tend to be in, in environments where I don't feel free. Like, that's a really common theme for me in relationship is I feel like I'm kind of tote control <laughs> you know. And so I obviously will create myself to be very out of control so that I will require controlling. And so I would say that that's uh, one of them. Um, Also, like criticism, I tend to get in relationships where I feel criticized a lot. And um, that was also, like, I think that that's how my grandma mom, like, really tried to control was through criticism. So, like, because I'm such a pleaser. So if there's something that uh, that I'm being criticized about, then I'm going to try to do that. And so I would say that those those two themes as well as, like, I tend to get with people who will, like, threaten to leave a lot because of the abandonment. So um, that would say that, <laughs> you know, I got those that trifecta, you know, abandoned control and criticism. How you doing? <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> oh, you know, and then, of course, we behave in ways that produce those results. And I think that's the piece that I want to bring in is that, you know, um, if when you look at, and we've talked about this probably a long time ago on the show, the, the, the uh, uh, Cartman's Triangle, which is that basically all conflict, all upset occurs, what they call the triangle, which is playing out the roles of villain, victim, hero. And the thing about all of those roles is they require, they don't exist in themselves. I can't be a hero without a victim. If you're if you are feel like you're saving people and caretaking people a lot, it's actually because you require a victim to maintain your role called the hero. And so the these roles or strategies that we use as kids to survive, um, as if this was our antidote to the pain that we were suffering, right? So I became a pleaser. I felt like I could get a little more freedom if I looked like I was being the good girl, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, so the, what you have to understand is whatever you're playing out in your current relationship is due to a persona you have developed to sort of handle what your childhood wounds were, and it actually requires that you keep playing it out. Like if you're going to be a victim, you're, you require villains. You require somebody like, oh, I'm always being criticized, right? So it's like, but I can't. The only way I can be criticized or controlled is if I'm playing out the victim role, you know. And so it's kind of an it's kind of an interesting deal that the thing that we most complain about. Now you guys aren't going to like this, but here here it is. And this is this is um, a principle that I studied really deeply in my work with the Hendricks. But the and I've seen it over and over again in working with hundreds of couples and in my own life. It's like the thing you complain about is the thing you're requiring. Okay. The thing you most complain about in relationship is the thing that you're requiring. So mm-hmm. I think it would be really cool for you to give your um, the way that I I think it would be really cool for you to say that your way, Suzanne, because that's a really hard concept for people to get. 
What do you mean I'm requiring him to be an asshole? Yep, you are, because it allows you to stay in the role of victim or whatever it is. But, like, I think it would be great to have your way of saying that. Yeah, I mean, the example that I give is that, you know, I grew up in a, a, my household was very emotionally volatile. And so, you know, both my parents would um, yell a lot and um, criticize a lot. And, um, you know, they were really um, consistently, um, you know, violent um, and angry. And um, and so I was always looking for a, a partner that was going to be kind and, you know, never raise their voice. Um, but what I, requ- I required, because I had um, equated love with all those behaviors, right? Like it had been imprinted, you know, that love equaled all these things. And so every single partner that I would... Um, connect with, eventually they would end up at least raising their voice at me, even though they had never raised their voice in a previous um, partnership, in a previous relationship, they would find themselves raising their voice with me um, or, or worse, right? And so it, it, it became this really fascinating thing because it was like I was requiring that. I was actually bringing that out in them. And so even though it's like, to me, it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, why are you doing this? This feels abusive to me. Um, it was actually the thing that I was um, required. And I was, it was, I was making it happen. Sure, they had responsibility and accountability for their part of it. But ultimately, you know, it was, <laughs> it was something that I required. So it, so I created it. And I think that's the um it, we don't want to lean into that we don't want to completely own that we all have this tendency to go into victim you know and especially go into victim energy around our wounding around our childhood wounding because we have all these little ones inside of us that are you know that are so <clears throat> upset and needy and so it's so easy to you know, point the finger at someone and say, you know, hey, like you've been working 12 hour days, you know, and you can't even look up from your computer to even notice that I'm here, you know, and, and yet that's the thing that you're requiring. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, the, I think the real work begins when you start to look at, um, taking radical accountability for everything that's showing up in your life, both the awesome things, you know, like really receiving your awesomeness and all of the ways in which you're creating amazing stuff and receiving all of you in that way, but also really getting your shadow sides, really getting this wounding, really getting that what, you know, what's happening and occurring is absolutely has everything to do with you. And I, and I think that's what has been, you know, an ongoing um, up level for me is, you know, in the moment of reaction, I absolutely want to pretend that I'm a victim. <clears throat> but on the tail end, as I'm processing and looking at things, it's like, oh, wow, well, I made that choice. Well, I created that. Well, 
my, you know, my reaction to that created a reaction in my partner, you know, and, um, and that's really what, what brought me to the conversation with my mom, um, because I have decided or chosen, um, at four, probably three or four years old, that I could do it on my own and that I wasn't going to rely on my mom, that she was unstable, <laughs> that she was um, mean, um, <laughs> that it wasn't, that it wasn't, it wasn't safe to rely on my mom. And so from four years old on, I basically created a barrier um, towards her and never, ever let her in um, again, you know, and as I moved into adulthood, you know, the abuse of my childhood weighed so heavily on me that it's not like I could really even have a um, relationship with her, you know, and also, you know, it was very um, challenging because my experience of her was that she was really defensive um, about the past and that she would go into kind of like a victim state herself when she would, you know, when other people in my um, family would talk to her about, you know, about the past, that she would um, kind of go into almost this martyr victim energy that was really challenging to deal with. And so, you know, I ended up really spending a lot of time away and distancing myself and separating myself, um, all, all while wanting her to, you know, be proud of me you know, and wanting to show that I was successful and that I had my shit together and that, you know, I had this, right? Um, and so it was this interesting thing. And I think that's a lot of what people deal with is, you know, you, the little ones inside of you always want approval from mom and dad. I mean, even when they're gone, even when mom and dad are gone, like my dad has been gone for almost nine years and um and i still <laughs> would want him to like see me to approve of me to show his love to me you know i feel like that that's kind of a fundamental um energy that doesn't really go away do you do you think that you ever overcome that like this want of love for your parents hmm <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is a hard one for me because um, I don't feel like I need that anymore. Like I don't, like I don't feel that. But I also know that I, I kind of one of my coping mechanisms is to get sort of isolate and go. I don't need you. I don't need mm -hmm. anybody. So I don't know. <laughs> in this you don't know if it's if wounding or. Yeah, like it could be my, I don't need you, I don't care if you like me, I'm awesome, you know, like, <laughs> so, um, unclear in a sense, I guess, um, but I, you know, the thing about it is, is that um, I did some really dynamic work uh, around my dad before he left the planet, my, my grandfather, father, and I really, really got to this place where I was more interested in my truth and my path and in his approval of my path and my truth. Mm -hmm. And that's actually when I really came to a beautiful healing space with him, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And so, and, and when I have um, connected energetically, spiritually, when I felt his energy come in or my grandma, mom's energy come in, um, I feel like I, I, when I can feel their love and their, their joy at my life, I, I enjoy that. Like, you know, uh, but it, it's not like I don't think it's sort of need based. I just really enjoy it. But I would say, like, my birth mom is still here, and my my desire for her to approve of me is still really big. So I would say that I have, I've, like, <laughs> worked through some and still have some to go. Cool. Yeah, I feel like that's really, really true for me, too. Um, you know, and I think with these, there's just so many layers to all of this. So we're going to – I'll finish my story with my mom when we come back. Um, you're listening to Love, Life, and All Things Weird. Bye, everybody. Are you looking for a place to create, connect, and belong? Where you have massive encouragement to be the weird, live-outside-the-box person you truly are. If you've chosen a different path as a rebel, an innovator, a leader, entrepreneur, and changemaker, you're in the right place. On Love, Life, and All Things Weird, Megan and Suzanne – bring you inspiration, awesome tools for transformation, and full permission to be you. Claim your weird and live your most ridiculous life. Be sure to listen every Wednesday at noon, Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. How long have you been waiting to uncloak your magic? To allow the magic within you to rise and catalyze into an extraordinary life deep down you know is possible. Live Your Magic is a two and a half day experience that will move you beyond your mind, ignite your body, and activate the magic that is you. If you are ready to radically tap into your desires, generate more aliveness in your body and your life, then join us at a Live Your Magic event somewhere in the world. Go to megansolito.com and click on events to learn more today. That's M-E-G-A-N-S-I-L-L-I-T-O. This is Love, Life, and All Things Weird with host Megan Silito and Suzanne Stoffer. Are you scratching your head a bit? Let's chat. Call into the program today and let's find some answers. If you're in the U.S., call 815-880-8255. In Canada, call 613-800-8736 or Skype us at Inspired Choices Network. You can also ask questions or leave comments in our Facebook group, Weird on the Air with Megan and Suzanne. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking about really diving into your patterns and relationships so that you can become more aware, you know, like when you get triggered uh, in your dynamic, like where is that coming from? And I was sharing with you my um, my experience with my mom. So um, when... Um, I reached out to her and asked her for a conversation. I've never actually talked to my mom about my childhood. My siblings have, my sisters have, but I never have. Uh, and so, and it was so interesting because when she texted me back, so my kind of core wound is I'm not chosen or prioritized. Um, and then when I 
ask for something or I want my needs to be met, then um, I feel criticized um, for that. And then um, I feel um, controlled by their reaction. So that's pretty much my kind of core wound. So when I asked my mom to meet with her, um, her response was, I'm so busy, um, you know, doing the reunion, I can't possibly meet with you, um, <laughs> which was so, so like, so closely matched my wound, right, of not being chosen or prioritized. Um, and then she went on to um, talk about the fact that at our reunion, like our immediate family reunion, how she wished that I would have stayed and talked to her. And so then, you know, my storyline with that is that I was criticized for, um, for, cause like somehow that's my fault, you know, that, um, <laughs> that my need wasn't met. And then, you know, when she said, well, I'm willing to meet with you, but I really want you to watch like some home videos first so that we can, um, have a positive, um, a positive time together. And so then it felt like she was trying to control the situation, right? Kind of control the experience. And so that was like, you know, three texts that were like my core wound, you know, like <laughs> the way that I experienced my core wound. And so it was really cool to just, I laughed out loud, honestly, because I was just like, wow, here it all is, you know, and here's what I've played out so much in relationship. Um, but, you know, about a week later, she asked to, you know, she texted me and said, you know, I have some time on Sunday. And when I went and met with her, my sole intention was to, because as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I, um, you know, I had never let her in after four years old. I had always, I had made the choice and decision that it wasn't safe, that she couldn't handle it, that I was too much and, um, and, you know, that I was on my own. And so I'd never, I'd created this heart fortress against her that, you know, at 47 was still very much intact. And so my intention was to show up with her vulnerably and without the heart wall. And so when I showed up at her house, she, she said, you know, Suzanne, what's happening? And I shared with her what was happening in my life and in a really vulnerable, real way. And I just cried. And I said, you know what, Mom, like I've always wanted your your approval and I've always wanted your love, um, but and I've always wanted you to think that I was okay, but right now I feel really broken. Right now I feel really shattered. I feel like I don't know how to do relationship um, in the way that I really want. And I just, I, I don't, I'm not okay. Um, and just being in that really real raw place with her crying um it just healed something it just healed something so radically in that moment of like the shared humanity the shared messiness of humanness um you know and she was so incredibly kind and she you know we talked about when that pattern started and you know what i had decided clear back then and um you know, it, we talked for three hours, and at the end of it, she said, Suzanne, what, what do you need from me? And I, I said to her, you know what, Mom, I have been trying my whole life not to need you. And um, so I'm going to have to get back to you 
on what it is that I actually need from you at this point in my life. Um, but the, it was, I didn't have to rehash the details or the abuse of my childhood. I didn't have to be right about that. I didn't have to make her wrong. You know, I didn't, um, I didn't need to do that with her. Like what, what I did need to do with her was to just show up real and raw and me and to just allow her in. At the end of our conversation, you know, she gave me this big hug and I just started to sob because I'd never received her hug. I had never received her love from the time I was so small. And, um, and so it was just such a profound moment. Um, and, you know, as I was considering what it is that she could do for me, you know, the next day she messaged me and asked me if I was okay um, and how I was doing. And I said, you know what, Mom, I know what you could do for me. Um, I know what I need from you. And she was like, yeah, anything. And I was like, I, I just need you to pray for me because her prayers are her expression of love. And it's not about religion, which I've, you know, created to separate us, right? It was, it's about a shared communion of energy. And so she said, well, you know, I do pray for you but I will continue to pray for you um, and, you know, and I will, and I will send so much peace your way. Um, and it was just, <laughs> it, was, it was so profound um, uh, to receive something that I had rejected, you know, and I had rejected it, you know, because it came in a container of religion. And I had seen that as her trying to, you know, control me. And I had seen that as her trying to push religion down my throat, you know. And in truth, it was, it's just her way of giving energy and her way of giving love, um, you know, that's based on her paradigm. And so it was, I was able to see uh, so many things uh, differently um, and to show up with no barriers was incredible uh, and it healed so much and I feel like, you know, the day after I was sharing this experience um, with Megan and she started to cry because, you know, we have played out so much that dynamic um, in our relationship and all the ways in which I couldn't receive her and all the ways in which I felt criticized by her and all the ways in which, you know, we both played out our core wounds with each other. And so that conversation with my mom led to a super healing conversation um, with Megan that I know profoundly um, is still, like there's still a ripple in my system and in my body and in my world, you know. And so I feel so hopeful for um, for my healing, you know, and for being able to do it differently in the future to be able to come to reconciliation 
um, inside of me, you know, and I think that is the power of this work. Um, you know, we create these external experiences so that we can look at our, at what doesn't feel whole within us. And so I would just so highly suggest <laughs> that you do that work, you know, um, and like I said, it's so easy to to look outside of yourself, to point the finger at someone else, to, you know, to blame mom and dad, to blame your previous partner, to, you know, get upset at, you know, someone else. And yet it's, it is a brave and courageous act to take radical accountability for um, your choices and for what's happening in your world. And every time that you feel triggered, that you come back to, okay, how did I create this? How did I allow this? How did I um, require this? You know, and that I think is the difference between being a creator of your life and being a reactor, you know, and I you know, the neural pathways in my brain and the the imprint of my childhood will continue to try to wreak havoc upon my consciousness. But I always have a choice. Um, I always have a choice. And we all have a choice. And um, so I hope that this conversation has been helpful um, and has allowed you to see a little closer what you're creating in your life and so that you can take that accountability and you can choose something different and really live your best life. So thanks for joining me. Um, we'll be back next week, Wednesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Thanks, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Love, Life, and All Things Weird. We will be back next Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Be sure to tune in for more tips and tools on how to claim your marvelous, magical life.